Welcome everybody to the Carolina Bible Group Bible Study Voice Room for today's study. Uh, today's study, incidentally, will be number 65 in our series uh, that we've entitled Angels and Giants Factor Fiction. And the date stamp for today is uh, 10-30-22, 30th of October. So, yeah, we're uh, we're rapidly depleting 2022 of any anything that it has left. So hang on. It's going to be an interesting ride from here on out in 2022. Uh, our purpose in this uh, study series, as I've continually said, is to investigate the angels and giants mentioned in Scripture and by doing so, uh, alleviate some of the confusion that some scripture verses uh, seem to generate among some folks. So that's our purpose, is to remove remove as much confusion about Scripture as we can. Now, I realize that as you go through, uh, as we go through and do these studies, that you'll end up with questions, and that's the whole point. Having a question, however, uh, does not signal confusion. Having a question signals uh, the existence of not an, um, of having something not answered, uh, but not necessarily confusion. You can uh, you cannot understand something, but that doesn't mean that it's chaos or confusion. So um, there are answers out there, and the answers are in this book. They're in the scriptures. Amen. And that's where that's where we continually need to look. Uh, so for our study last week. We circled back last week to Second Thessalonians chapter 2. And we reviewed Paul's admonitions to the Thessalonians regarding the, the beast, or as Paul called it there, the, the son of perdition, uh, since it related back to Revelation 13. Uh, I come to realize that there was a lot Paul had to say about that in Thessalonians that we uh, probably should have went back and took a look at and uh, did not, and so I wanted to rectify that, and that's what we spent last week doing, and uh, I hope you got something out of that too, and understood uh, sort of the timing of the whole thing, and that when Paul wrote Thessalonians, that that coming uh, was pretty imminent, because the the nation had not chosen whether they would accept Christ as their Messiah or not at that point, and so time was proceeding forward as if they would. Uh, and it does until we get to uh, the end of the book of Acts, to the end of the Acts period there. And Paul pretty much uh, comes to the conclusion at Acts 28 that the nation of Israel is going to be set aside. And they were uh, at Acts 28, 28. So with that in mind, moving on into today's study, let's continue uh, moving on today with our look into angels in the Revelation by looking at the six angels mentioned in Revelation chapter 14. And try as I may as I go through Revelation, it is going to be difficult to leave out any chapter uh, because just about every chapter in Revelation is dealing with angels on some level or new angels that our man on the ground, our reporter in the heavenlies, John, uh, is seeing. And and I literally believe it was like that. I believe these things were were they were being played out before John as he got this revelation, this apocalypsis uh, from the from the angel who got it from Christ, who got it from the Father. You can read that in the first chapter of Revelation how 
it went from God the Father to the Son to the angel to John. And it was revealed to John in the Spirit on the Lord's day, it says. He was there uh, and saw these things. And you either believe that or you don't as we go through the Scripture. Uh, and all scriptures like that. It's, if you can't get past, um, if you can't get past in the beginning God, in the very beginning of the scripture, then none of the rest of the scripture is really going to mean a whole lot to you. Uh, because if you can't get past that, then the rest of it is pointless. So let's continue on today with our look at angels in Revelation, looking at the, the six angels that are mentioned in Revelation chapter 14. So turn with me, if you would, this morning. Revelation chapter 14, we're going to begin. Going to read, um, going to read all 20 verses, verses 1 through 20. Uh, try to go through the entire chapter, but I want you to note the six specific angels that are listed here in, in chapter 14 and specifically what they do. Because each of these angels has a purpose and they have a job to do within the scope of what's going on here in the as we move up toward the Lord's day in the Revelation. So let's read Revelation 14, uh, verse one. John, our man on the ground, remember, he says, "And I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on the Mount Zion." And with him a hundred and forty and four thousand, the hundred and forty-four thousand, having his father's name written in their foreheads. Now, who do you imagine this lamb that stands on Mount Zion is? Well, that one's that one's pretty easy. There's only one lamb that's going to stand on Mount Zion, and in this day, he is not returning to the earth as a lamb. Although the connection here to him being the lamb that was slain from before the foundation, before the catabole of the cosmos, even though that distinction is made, it is the, this is the Lord Christ Jesus as he stands. And John says he looked and he saw him. He saw a lamb. A lamb stood on Mount Zion and with him a hundred and forty and four thousand, that's the hundred and forty-four thousand, yes, that we've already read about, that we've already studied a little bit about, that's mentioned in Revelation chapter 7, verses 3 through 8. So if you want to, I'm not going to do it for time's sake today, but just for the sake of the conversation, this is the same hundred and forty-four thousand. These are twelve thousand males. They are 12,000 taken from every tribe of Israel. So, in Ronnie's mind, since Israel is set aside and non-existent today as far as their bloodline goes, I believe, now are they still people that have the blood of Israel in their veins? Absolutely. Uh, Does God really look at that today? Ronnie doesn't think so. Because we're all one new man in Christ, as Paul made it clear in this dispensation. So where do these 144,000 sealed from every tribe of Israel come from? Well, I believe, and you can agree or disagree, that Ezekiel chapter 37 makes that pretty plain. They come forth out of the dust. They are literally assembled 
the skeleton, the bones stand up, the sinew and the muscle is added to the skeletons. It says, and these bones are the whole household of Israel. And out of this entire household of Israel is going to come 12,000, I believe, from each tribe. And these events, this, this resurrection back to a fleshly life, it says that their bodies were rebuilt and God breathes His Spirit back into them and these bones are the whole household of Israel. Now you either believe that or you don't. And I believe personally that this is where God gets the 144,000. Now you can agree or disagree. They have already done whatever they're going to do. They are already dead and in the ground. And have been chosen. And have been already chosen from before that time. Yeah. But they lay in wait. Is it any problem for God to raise them up and rebuild their bodies and put life back into them? Absolutely not. God can do that without any effort whatsoever. Go back. not going to do it for time's sake this morning. Go back and just read Ezekiel chapter 37. And I think then it will become clear where God gets the Jews to do with what He's going to do with for all these things that happened in the book of the Revelation. Because that bothered me for a long time. That if there are no Jews today, per, you know, like the chosen Jews of that day, they were set aside as a nation. Their, their specialness in being one of the twelve tribes of Israel ceased. And the records were also destroyed when Titus overran Jerusalem in A.D. 70. So nobody today can completely and 100% positively, I believe, prove that they are of the tribes of Israel. I don't believe they can do it. All the proof that was proof has been destroyed by these systematic raids and and the, even the destruction of of the temple by Titus in AD 70 when Titus's army overran uh, overran the temple and destroyed it they have no record they got no records to prove it that's like all the courthouses in the United States if they all of a sudden just burn down then there's no records of anybody who anybody came from and that's kind of what happened they, you're right, Jason. They literally are born again from the dust. And I believe that's why God includes uh, that prophecy for Ezekiel so that we will understand where these come from that these 144,000 are going to come from. Now, you can agree with that or disagree with that. that that's Ronnie's synopsis of where they where they originate. They have to be of the tribes of Israel. It makes that very clear in chapter 7 of Revelation. There are 12,000 from each tribe. And believe me, God knows who they are. And God knows where the bones are. Even if those bones are dust at this point. When they come back, they'll know which tribe they belong to. There won't be any doubt. When they come back, they will know what their purpose is and their point is, 
And they will stand, as it says right here in chapter 14, verse 1. They will stand with that lamb on Mount Zion at that day. And they will have his fathers, his fathers, the name of God Almighty himself, the Father. They will have his father's name written, as it says in verse 1, in their foreheads as opposed to having the number of the beast in their forehead. You see that? Big difference in having the father's name written there and having the the number of the beast written there in their foreheads. So let's move on. Verse 2. Um, we'll also, we're also, before we move on, we're going to see more attributes of these 144,000 in verses 4 through 7 as we move down through Revelation 14, so bear with me. Verse 2, it's, and John goes on. He says, and I heard a voice uh, out of or out from heaven as the voice of many waters and as the voice of a great thunder. And I heard the voice of harpers harping with their harps. And literally that should read, uh, the voice which I heard was that of harpers. It, the, the voice itself, according to the note in the CB, is what actually sounded like a harp. The, the, even the voices have a, a musical melody type of a sound to them. And I think that, I think God really appreciates good music. I think he does. And I was sitting there thinking about that last night as we went to my granddaughter's pageant and I got another granddaughter that sang with the choir as entertainment at the pageant. And it, the way they harmonized, it just, man, it hit me that no wonder God appreciates this kind of thing because it, it shows the perfect harmony that for just a small moment that humans can have. And, and I see why God can appreciate that and the sound that these angels must make has to be something that would absolutely blow your mind. I bet it's I bet it's such a beautiful sound that you can't even wrap your brain around how beautiful it is. But that's also like a celebration of the gifts and talents that he gives humans. Exactly. Amen. I believe that's exactly right. So these things you know, you find your blessings in in the little things in life that happen sometimes. Amen. And I thought about that as I was sitting there last night, and then I saw this verse this morning, and I was like, holy smokes. You know, this little blessing on top of little blessing on top of little blessing. So it says in verse 3, and they sung, it, it says, they sung as it were uh, a new song. They had a totally new song, one that nobody had heard before the throne and before the four angels uh, and the elders. You remember the throne is surrounded by the four beasts or the four living creatures, and then outside of them are the 24 elders. They are almost continually mentioned. When you talk about the temple and the throne that's in the heavenlies, these are almost continually mentioned by John as we go through this. So that's a reference that every time he looks to the place where God is, that these are the things that he sees. 
These are the things that he reports back to us. Now, I, I like the note there in the companion Bible where it says a new song by a new company with a new thing. Exactly. It all has a new purpose. Yeah. And God knows what that purpose is. God knows what the song is. And God knows what the theme of the song is as well. That's a good point. So they sing as it were a new song before the throne and before the four beasts and the elders. And no man could learn that song except or but the 144K, which were redeemed from the earth. So these were regenerated out of the earth. They were given back their uh, breath by God himself, and then they were appointed for this specific job to be there with the, the Lamb and to learn and to sing this song. And they are the only ones that know this song. They're in harmony. Yeah. And, and, and there's nothing that's going to come into that to disrupt that. Absolutely pure. You're exactly right. I believe this song is as pure as it gets as far as music goes. They know it. They understand it. And they're going to sing it. Each will add his own part to it. And there will be no part, I agree, I totally agree, there will be no part of it that will be out of tune, I'll promise you. Right. It will all be right in tune. And then you see the space. If you have a companion Bible, there's a space there between verse 3 and verse 4. Well, that sets it off as another different part of the structure of Revelation. I don't know if you've ever noticed that in the companion Bible as you go along. But you see where that space is there between 3 and 4. It's like they skip a line. And that means something. And if you look at the outline where it uh, says uh, part E there in 14 verses 6 through 20, it says this is the fifth vision on earth that John's having. And within this fifth vision, we hear about the six angels and the Son of Man. And that's what is being delineated here by chapter 4, I mean chapter 14 verse 4, and we're starting to look at this fifth vision that John is revealing to us as our man on the ground in, in the Lord's day. So isn't that amazing? Isn't it a wonderful thing what we're able to look at? And isn't it a blessing to have a Bible that points these things out and makes them plain to us? I, I, I'm overwhelmed at times by what these things what these these companion Bibles were able to do with for us. So it says in 14.4, These are they. Here's a little bit of description about the 144K. These are they, the 144,000, which were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. And the companion Bible note says the reference is to the pollutions connected with the great religious system under Antichrist, in the coming days. So the inference here in the companion Bible says that this is not necessarily being uh, defiled with women, but necessarily kind of being defiled by the the whole corrupt system of that day as a whole. They didn't have any part. They have their father's, his father's name, remember, written in their foreheads. They're not defiled by that day or the, the means of that day whatsoever. And the companion Bible's note says that that may be 
the inference to that, but not so sure I agree with that, just throwing that out for you to think about. Uh, there are notes in the Companion Bible I totally agree with, and some I go, well, maybe, maybe not. You know, and, and you have that, you, you've got that option. Uh, you don't have to believe every single thing the Companion Bible, uh, every note that's written there, you can uh, agree or disagree as well as, you know, with anything that I say. But study to show thyself approved. That's a workman that needs not to be ashamed. That's, that's what we all have to do. So, these are they which were not defiled with women for they are virgins. These are they, this is a description, kind of a synoptic description of this 144K. These are they which follow the Lamb whithersoever he goeth. Because they have his Father's name stamped in their foreheads, sealed in their foreheads. These were redeemed. You see that? They were bought back from among men. To be the firstfruits unto God and to that Lamb. They were redeemed or bought back for that purpose. For the Lamb. You see that? They were going to be the first fruits of the God from all the nation of Israel, evidently, and the first fruits to the Lamb. And that's where we find them standing when John sees them there on Mount Zion in verse 1. So it's not, not really all that hard to follow here if you, if you just stay with it. Verse 5. And just like Dad said, in their mouth, was found no guile. Nothing sinful, nothing out of line, nothing that would embarrass or infuriate God. There in their mouth it says was found no guile, for they are without fault. All are in harmony. Wow. You remember what he said about uh Job when he was talking to Satan? Lucifer? He said, Have you considered my my servant do. Here are more that are found without fault before the throne of God. What a thing to be able to be said about you. That you can stand before the throne of God without guile and without fault. Could we do that on our own? Absolutely not. There is only one way than any of us will ever stand before the throne of God or before the, the Son of God and be without fault, and that is through the cleansing power of His blood. No other way for us to get there. Can't be done. Has to be through His cleansing power. And amen, Jason. We will only find that in resurrection. So let's move on, verse 6. So here we begin the angels. This study is about angels and giants. So here we begin the look at these six angels that John is going to talk about here in Revelation chapter 14. So he he stops or holds off talking about the 144,000. And he now he's focused on these six angels. So he says, I saw another angel. This will be angel number one. And I'm going to number them for you as we go through. 
I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven. So these angels are not restricted by gravity or any other forces. They can move about at will. I don't even know that this heavens that we're looking at here, the upon heavens, in the throne room of God itself, I don't even know if it has to be built on anything. It probably just is just there. It exists. So this angel can fly in the midst of heaven. It says having the everlasting gospel or having uh, the gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people. So this first angel has the gospel. The word everlasting there, uh, I've got a mark through it in my Bible, and I believe it's not supposed to, well, uh, having an everlasting gospel uh, is the, uh, is actually how it should be translated. And for that word everlasting, anytime you see this word, everlasting, evermore, forever and ever, uh, forever and ever, amen. Uh, there's a lot of different phrases that you really need to be careful with. I've said this before and I'll say it again. The words forever, everlasting, evermore, eternal, all these kind of words have to be dealt with in appendix probably 151. They are derivatives of aeon or time. They have to do with time. And we'll run into that again as we're going down through the rest of this study, if I ever make it that far. But angel number one, note, note that John says, he saw him fly in midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth, and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people. And he's saying with a loud voice, here's what the angel is saying, fear God. See, they've been exposed to this to this beast, I believe, at this point. So the angel flies and he says, Fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment is come and worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. Giving homage back to God the Father as the Elohim creator of all things. Now, fear God. Here's the message from this angel. And we're going to drill down into this message a little bit from angel number one. Fear God, give glory to him. Here's the kicker. For now the hour of his judgment is come. I want to read you something for just a minute regarding the hour of his judgment being come. Turn with me back to Luke chapter 4. This will blow your mind. Maybe some of you. Some of you that have seen it, maybe some of you haven't. Luke chapter 4. So there comes a time, and I'm going to start at verse 14. This is when Christ, of course, was in the flesh. He was on the earth as a man, God's perfect man, man's perfect God. This is right after the, the record of the temptation of Satan against our Lord. And we'll pick up with the story here from Luke in chapter 4, verse 14. 
And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into, into Galilee. And there went out a fame of him through all the region round about. Christ was famous around about. In all that region, his fame went forth. He was like a rock star. Everybody just about had heard what was going on with this Jesus. What these things that he was able to do. The miracles that he was able to perform. And it, the fame of him, it says, through all the region round about. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified of all. Listen to this. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the, on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. So Christ goes into Nazareth. He goes in the local synagogue and he stands up as it is to read. Now this is a, this is a tradition in the synagogues and I've heard from other uh, scholars who know more about Jewish custom than me that there was a certain requirement that when they did this and they read from the word that they had to read so many lines or so many verses as a custom within the synagogue. Well, let's read on. And as his custom was, it says in verse 16, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and it was, and he stood up to read, up for to read. And there was delivered unto him, see the, there was a, there's a hierarchy of people who handled the scripture and it went from probably the head guy down to a delivery person who took it and gave it to Christ and he would unroll the scroll and read it. And it says, and there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Esaias or Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. And we're going to read, this is quoted from Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. That's what Christ chose to read this particular day in the synagogue. Now stay with me on this. This is important. And it says, if I can read it, hang on. Get my eyes cleared out here. And the part he read says this. He said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them which are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. You see that? And he closed the book. He closed the book. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 6. I want to show you what he didn't read. Isaiah chapter 6. And 
And that should be uh, where is it? Isaiah six. Isaiah chapter six. Yeah, I'm in the right place. Hold on a sec. I had it marked here. Give me just a second. Or am I missing it? There was another note. No. No, it's Isaiah 61. I'm sorry. Isaiah 61. My bad. I knew it wasn't the right one. Isaiah chapter 61. Here's where the Lord quoted from. At least the Lord knows where it was. Evidently, Ronnie did not. Let's read it. Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. That's where the Lord stopped. But is that where Isaiah 61-2 stops? It is not. Right after the Lord stopped, what does it say? It says, To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. To comfort all that mourn. Turn back to Luke 4, verse 20. Actually, let's read 19 again. You see what he did? He read to preach the acceptable year of the Lord, and he closed the book. He did not read what comes next, because here's what he said. He closed the book, it says in verse 20, and he gave it again to the minister and sat down. And the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue, they were fastened on him. They couldn't believe it. How could he just stop like that? Right in the middle of the whole show. How could he do this? Blew their mind. What did he say? And he began to say unto them, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. Today is the acceptable year of the Lord. He drew the line. He put a gap between the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of his vengeance because it had not yet been decided whether the nation of Israel would accept him as Messiah or not. So he couldn't read the rest of that and then say, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears because it wasn't. That decision had not yet been made at that point. 
the Lord Christ himself rightly divided the scriptures. Doesn't that blow your mind? He determined what had been fulfilled and what had not been fulfilled. And he told them, what I've just read to you has been fulfilled in your ears this day, but not the rest of it. Now roll back to Revelation 14. What did the angel say? Saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to Him for the hour of His judgment is come. The decision by then had been made where John sat in the Lord's day. The decision was a done deal. And the decision by Israel had been what? That this this man of Nazareth, this Jesus of Nazareth is not our Messiah. We do not accept him as our Messiah. Give us Barabbas. Away with him. Crucify him. We don't want him. We don't need him. He's not the one. If we're looking for a king, he's not going to get the job. And so they rejected him. And God gave them another opportunity called the Acts period. They had yet another opportunity with Christ being preached by them that heard Christ, the, the apostles. And they were, they were supported in their ministry by great miracles and signs and wonders that were available through the power of the Holy Spirit to prove that what they were saying about Christ being the Messiah was true. And they, He was the Son of God, and it was proven to be the Son of God with power. And still, when you get down to Acts 28, 28, Paul says, hearing you don't hear, seeing you don't see. Their eyes are blind. Hearts are hearted. Quoted Isaiah 6. Be it known unto you therefore that the soterion of God, the salvation of God, is sent to the Gentiles and they'll hear it. And it was. And I believe that salvation there is literally the gospel of John. That the salvation that Paul's speaking of in Acts 28, I believe it personally to be the gospel of John to whosoever will worldwide. And so it was. Man, that, that tears me up. When the Lord says, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears, but didn't even read the rest of the verse, tell me that he didn't rightly divide the scripture. Anybody rightly divided the scripture, the Lord did. And that should give you great comfort in knowing how we study the scripture. That even he rightly divided the word as he read it. He couldn't read that whole verse and tell them that this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. Because it would not have been. Because all the events that go with that have not taken place. There had been no no judgment at that point. But now, 
John says in Revelation 7, 14, 7, what does he say? He says simply, the hour of judgment has come. It's here. It wasn't time in Christ's day, but it's time now. Let's read on. For the hour of his judgment has come, Revelation 14, 7. And worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of water. It says in verse 8, and there followed another angel. This is angel number 2. There followed another angel saying, Babylon is fallen. And this is evidently the angel announcing this as a note after the fact of Babylon actually falling. If the angel were flying around saying Babylon has fallen and it hadn't yet fallen, then the angel would be lying, correct? I don't think you're going to find the lying angel flying around in the throne room of God. I'm just going to go out on a limb and say that. I don't, I don't really believe that's going to happen. So when this angel is flying around the, and, and making this proclamation, the fall of Babylon, which is recorded in Revelation as well, is already a done deal. So you see how I mean that Revelation skips around chronologically. You're going to have to put some legwork and time into figuring out the chronology of the events of the book of Revelation. You're just going to have to do it. Well, you have a little, in, in the notes there, you, you've got a hint there because it said the first angel was a proclamation. The second angel is a declaration. Yep. So there's a difference. There, there is a difference. And, and that's a good point. It goes on. You see how the structure of Scripture can actually help you understand Scripture. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? And I'm glad you brought that out because I even noticed that when I was looking at this. That there's a difference in a declaration and a proclamation. Yeah. I mean, a, what was it? Yeah, yeah a proclamation and a declaration. declaration. So the second is a declaration. And he says, here's the declaration. Babylon is fallen. Yeah. Is fallen that great city because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Yeah. The great harlot of false gods. So that angel was declaring that, that that has already happened. It's a done deal. A Babylon done. is down. It's gone. It's fallen. Then we move to the third angel here in verse number 9. And I obviously am not going to get all through all six angels uh, today, but I'm glad we took the detour at Luke 4 that we did. So verse 9 says, In the third angel, here's angel number 3 in chapter 14 of Revelation. The third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, if any man worship the beast in his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, here's the, here's the ramifications of that. Verse 10. The same, the same being that man that worshiped the beast in his image or received his mark, the same shall drink of the wine that was just mentioned, the wine of wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. God is totally indignant in all that. There will be wrath and he's not going to feel bad about it. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. 
which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation, and he shall be tormented. He that takes that mark, he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. There's going to be some torment there. Listen to this, verse 11. Here's where a lot of your uh, visions of how people are treated in hell come from. But notice that hell is not even mentioned here in the English or otherwise. It just says that they're going to be, they shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke, verse 11, and the smoke of their torment ascendeth up. Oh, there's that phrase again. Forever and ever. Evermore. Everlasting. Forever. What did I tell you about this term? You got to look it up and see what it really says. And it says unto the ages of ages. Thank you, Jason. Jason's all, he's always two steps ahead of me, I've noticed. He's, <laughs> he's, he's all over it and he sees where I'm going with this. He's always two steps ahead of me. The smoke of their torment. Now listen to this. It ascends up unto the ages of ages. Well, how long is that? Well, what's an age? Listen. An age, by definition, has a beginning and it has an end. So does that really fit the forever and ever in the vernacular of the English? Probably not. In the Greek, it means under the ages of ages. Ages of ages. you got to look these up, folks, when you see them, or you're just going to end up being totally confused. So this has an end. That smoke is going to go up for quite a while, but it does have an end because ages have an end. Now, the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever. Does that mean the torment goes on forever and ever? That's not what Scripture says. Don't put stuff in there that Scripture doesn't say. All it says about the ages of the ages is the smoke goes up. Probably as a remembrance and a reminder. And they have no rest, day nor night, who worship the beast in his image, and whatsoever, and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. Here is the patience of the saints. Verse 12. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. And John goes on uh, and talks more about these in verse 13. Let's read it. I think we'll stop there. John says, And I heard a voice from heaven saying, uh, Right, blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works. No, the word should be rewards. And their rewards do follow them. See, John already said, here's the patience of the saints. Talking about the saints, evidently, that don't take this mark. He said, here are they that keep the commandments of God 
and the faith of Jesus. And he heard a voice from heaven, verse 13, saying, Right blessed are these dead. They're dead. They've been killed. Blessed are the dead, which dine the Lord from henceforth. Yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, and their rewards do follow them. Is God able to give the rewards to the dead that die for Christ? He sure is. Just like he's able to raise the entire nation of Israel out of the dust and assemble the bones and put flesh and muscle on them and breathe into their nostrils life and call them the entire household of Israel. And we'll stop there for today. I hope you enjoyed this. I certainly did. I'll write down that we stopped at verse 13. And uh, I apologize that I didn't get all the way through it. But uh, we will, as I said, we're in no hurry. We'll uh, we'll finish this up uh, next week. Hopefully we'll finish it up next week. Sometimes it takes two or three weeks to get through one chapter. Because there's a lot here, y'all, dealing with these angels. And we only got through three of them. But I think if we just look at the angels and don't look at what they say or what they do, then we're really not gaining anything, are we? We're not really getting anywhere. So it behooves us to at least check out what God has these angels doing and why he has them doing it as it fulfills his plan and his purpose for the ages. So... Bless, uh, bless you for being with us. Uh, thank you for the kind words. Yeah, and, and I'm not saying that the Ezekiel 30, 37 connection is the only possible answer there. I just know that with the current dispensation, uh, if God's gonna get any true Jews back, uh, in my mind, they've gotta be pulled up out of the dust. And believe me, God, well, what did Christ tell, tell the Pharisees? He said, God, my father is able to raise up children of Israel out of the stones of the field if he wants to. So don't worry about doting about who's a Jew or who ain't. Uh, God can make Jews. He knows where they all are, the true ones. Trust me. That's not beyond his capability in the least. Uh, I see that question, James. I believe that the beast and the son of perdition are the same, and quite likely that's false prophet. I think he's called several things uh, by several uh, different writers in the Scripture. But, yeah, that's a good question. I believe so, but I will reserve a little bit of I don't know to, <laughs> to go uh, to go with that as well. So uh, hopefully this was a blessing to you. It certainly was to me. Bow with me. I'm uh, getting close to running into Barney's time and. uh Thank you guys for being with us. Bow with us. Uh, Father, once again, we thank you for this beautiful day. We thank you for the scripture. We thank you for the fact that we can read it and see it and, Father, understand it and study for ourselves and through the power of the Holy Spirit, Father, uh, come to some of these truths that just humble us to no end. And, Father, we're thankful for this word and for what it does. And for what it brings us in God. Most of all, we're thankful for that precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that we know preserves us from all these things that we read about in, in the book of Revelation. 
Father, thank you for this beautiful day, for those that have joined us. Uh, be with those that were mentioned for prayer and those that we in our, our human frailty can't remember uh, but need need that touch from you nonetheless. Be with us, continue to lead God and bless us in all that we endeavor to do in your name. For it's in Christ's name today that we humbly pray. Amen.